We do not follow man-made fancy or fable, but the word of the living God. He alone has claim to our hearts and allegiances. Let us heed him as he speaks from his word this morning in Matthew 5, 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. again this morning, even though my knees are shaking. This goes with the uh, not used to being up here that much, but it is uh, it's wonderful to see you all here, and uh, I hope I can do the Word of God justice. I titled today's sermon, Questions. We should all be asking? No, not with a question mark at the end, but with an exclamation point. I... Uh, it occurred to me, or this whole thing came about actually, because uh, Eric had the question and answer time, and he decided that uh, it wasn't a good idea to have it on Super Bowl Sunday, so he moved it to the Saturday before that last weekend. And after we watched the Super Bowl on Sunday, we decided that maybe it would have been better if he'd have left it there on that Sunday. <laughs> And we'd have had a big crowd of people that would have shown up. That was, uh, I'm not trying to make any judgments there on the Super Bowl game, but it uh, wasn't the most exciting thing that I've ever uh, witnessed, as little of it as I witnessed. Um, but on that time, when Eric mentioned uh, that he needed somebody here, it was about the same time that he announced the question and answer thing, and, oh boy, what am I going to talk about? What kind of word of God does, should I bring? And uh, what he indicated to me was that, all well, that very question of questions. 
that in my daily reading, I was thought, well, I'll just take that reading. It's typical and see what questions uh, come out of that. So the answers to the Christian life will not come to us unless we have questions. Um, those questions may be universal questions. Those questions may be specific questions. The only way we will grow in Christ is if we ask questions. Ask him questions. Ask the pastor questions. Ask others questions. Ask ourselves questions. Where do the questions come from? When I read the Bible, and in Matthew chapter 5, starts with the nine blessings of the, of the uh, Beatitudes. And many pastors would preach, you know, maybe nine sermons on that. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. But I am going to touch on it. But starting at, thir- at verse 13, right after that, the Beatitudes, the very first thing Jesus says is, you are the salt of the earth. Well, we've heard that often, haven't we? Salt of the earth. What does that really mean? I thought, well, I'll go to the dictionary. I went to two, I had to go to three dictionaries. It wasn't until I got to the big, fat one that's about this big that I actually found a definition of it. And it said that an individual or group considered as a representative of the best or noblest elements of society. And this had a date on it between 1350 and 1400. So apparently this little saying's been around a long time. And in fact, then it, that very same uh, definition in, the, in my dictionary said, uh, after Matthew 513, and I, oh, I had it. Oh, man, I found the right one there. Now, who exactly heard these words from Jesus? Was it the whole crowd mentioned? If you look back at Matthew 5, the very first part, the A part of that verse, it indicates that if you wouldn't just share that with me. In fact, keep your Bibles open because, you know, I'm technologically challenged too, so I didn't give anybody a lot of stuff to put up on the screen. But he says, now when they saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and this is Jesus, and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to preach. So two things apparently are going on there. There's crowds coming up the mountain, and Jesus wants to teach his disciples, which was typical. They sit down and teach. So he apparently goes up higher on the hill and, and then begins this teach. And then people hear him, see him, and they gather in close enough so they can hear. So that's, that's the kind of the picture you want to see here. Don't, and don't forget, we don't have, you know, uh, uh, mics and, and uh, amplifiers and stuff back then. But oftentimes, it's like the curvature on the, on the wind on the, uh, you know, a, a wind foil, like an airplane or anything else, on a hill, oftentimes the wind blows and crests over that hill and actually picks up speed, and that wind is carried on down, and so it would make sense that they would do this on the peak of a hill or just over the top of the peak of the hill so everyone can hear. So this is what is happening. Um, at any rate, the entire sh- uh, sermon t- could be also preached on the effect of salt. You put the right amount of salt, it really improves the taste. If you put too much on, it ruins it. Uh, and I'll try to remember that as I continue. And hopefully I won't go on too much, spread too much salt during this time of worship here. Um, Matthew seven twenty-eight. at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus has finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught with someone as someone with authority. 
Apparently their teachers had not, the teachers of the law. So the crowd must have been listening to Jesus teaching his disciples as he sat and instructing them with the crowds sitting around, listening to each. And we see that in that, um, that part that I just read. So the questions I glean from this pack passage is that if you don't have questions, you're not exercising your curiosity. And if you're not exercising your curiosity, you will not learn. How many teachers are out there? Teachers in school? How many, how many of you like to have kids raise their hands and ask questions? Isn't that the easiest way to teach, to have that eager mind and to learn from the question you have, you remember it so much better. So it's the same is true for Eric or most pastors. They love to have questions asked of them. And Eric was wonderful the other night. I mean, even if it was a stupid question, like I asked one, you know, why didn't Jesus come out and say, ask, well, why, you know, like Paul did, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Eric said, well, that's simple, because if Jesus did that, they would have taken him away and killed him instantly. And he was very concerned about the right timing that he was supposed to be operating under. It's like, oh, yeah, I should have thought of that one myself. And anyway, the very first part of five, he asks a declarative question. You go, ah, what do you mean a declarative question? Well, keep in mind, there are two groups of people. There's his disciples he knows intimately, and there's the group down a little bit further on the hillside still listening. So there are two different groups. Jesus knows both groups, the disciples intimately, and they can take this as a declaration. The crowds need to turn that declaration into a question. Instead of you are, they need many times to be thinking, are you the salt of the earth? Or rather, am I the salt of the earth? Are we the salt of the earth, representing the most noble elements of our Christian life. Am I? I ask that. You can ask that of others as you hear them, or ask that of yourself as you speak. If salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? It's good for nothing. It will be trampled by men. If we discern and share the truth of the gospel, we remain of great value to God. Christ's gospel. We will not become irrelevant and trampled underfoot by men of this world. Biologically, remember, without salt, human life, any life for that matter, is impossible. Look to verse 14, the next declarative question. You are the light of the world. So are we the light of the world? Do I put burned out light bulbs in my yard lights and inside my house? Do I welcome people into a darkened house without any lights? Or do we welcome the people into our houses with the good news and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We must let our light shine before men and women that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Our actions and conversations with everyone, Christians and non-Christians, must connect our thoughts our beliefs, and our actions with Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the way we talk 
act and live our daily lives in our day-to-day world, as we do this, those that witness our lives will see our good deeds and praise our Heavenly Father. The wisdom in the Bible is so amazing. We see its its conversation about everyday things all the time. I bought salt this week. I suppose none of you have any idea why I would have done that. But I actually found some and, and paid a little bit higher price than I'm used, but I was glad to get it. Spread it around, and, and it was, must have been just the right temperature because this wasn't the really expensive salt that will melt down to 32 degrees below or whatever. But I put it on the surface of the flat apron in the driveway and, and uh, early in the morning, and, and uh, later on it, it actually melted it, and I was able to get scoop or the you know metal shovel underneath the edge and push it away and it was just like a snowplow or an icebreaker or something that you'd see on uh, Lake Michigan I guess but it was all breaking up in these chunks and I pushing it out of the way well then I thought well maybe I should go ahead and try the steep part that faces north it's just gravel underneath at my house anyway so I went out and I started throwing that well at that time the sun had come out and it's amazing how the salt of the earth falling on this ice suddenly started cracking Snapple, snapple, crack, <laughs> snap, crackle, and pop. I'll get this yet. And, and all of a sudden, because that light was there, it warmed it up just enough, and that it was amazing. It was just noisy. It was actually noisy around there. And that's the way it is with us. If we are the salt of the earth, and then we bring the truth of the light of God, the truth of Jesus Christ, into society at that same time with our salt, with our saltiness that hasn't been cast out and trampled underfoot, which is the word of God, that we will notice a big difference. Question number three of the declarative variety. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Do you think that Jesus changed everything? Have I ever said... Have you ever said, have we ever said to someone, well, that was the Old Testament. That was before Jesus came. Jesus came, everything changed. This usually happens when somebody says, well, I just can't believe the God of the Bible would tell the Israelites to go into the promised land and kill everything that they came in contact with. Wipe it out. Well, that's the truth of the Bible. That's what he did. But people say, how could a loving Heavenly Father do such a thing? We in this modern age cannot comprehend that. But in God's omniscient power to see where we cannot see, that is, into the future, he can see what is necessary for the Israelites to do in order to survive, in order to be the nation he wanted 3,465 years ago. The same is true for us today. The law is God's law. It is not optional. It will stand for eternity. Jesus did not change. He did not change. He did not change God's promise. He just fulfilled them, fulfilled them all. But we all have our own ideas about what we are supposed to be doing on this earth, the life God has given us. The Pharisees had their own ideas. Most of the time it was seemingly promoting themselves. But what they were supposed to be doing, they didn't do. And how they should have behaved 
it was way too high and mighty. And that's why the people on the hillside recognized that Jesus was teaching in a whole other language. Jesus continues with his Sermon on the Mount, covering every infraction of humanity. If you open your your, uh, Bibles to that, you'll see these headlines. Murder. He said it was equal to a violation of anger or saying raka. Adultery, equal to being the same as lust. Divorce, or even looking lustfully at someone. Divorce equaling, equals adultery in many situations. Oaths, yet your, let your yes be yes, and, and let your no be no, and do not swear. And by that he meant don't make promises that you might not be able to keep. Revenge, turn it into compassion. For enemies, hatred turned into perfect, perfect love. Giving and benevolence is to be secret, known by God alone. Prayer is not for public show, but for private communication with God, mostly. Forgiveness, forgive others in the same way that you hope others will forgive you and that God will also forgive you. Fasting, don't fast for attention, don't, but for intentional in secrecy. Money, hoarding it, where is where your treasure is, your heart is not there. It will also, you can uh, you cannot serve two masters, both God and mammon, or money. Worry, don't worry. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Judging others, don't do it, particularly cavalierly. Judge yourself only through the heavenly Father's eyes. Seek his wisdom first. And pull out the plank in your own eye. Ask, seek, and not. Getting to eternal life. Ask. There that question is again. Ask. If we don't ask, we'll never probably seek or knock. But if we do, the door will be open to us. Avoid destruction. The narrow and the wide gate. Enter through the narrow gate. Narrow gate. Don't follow the herd. Look for the harder path. Choose that harder one. Do I recognize it's a tree and its fruit? Do I recognize good fruit? Finally, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Don't deceive yourself. We need to all be in that hard walk, more difficult walk of being that that follows tightly to what God's word is. But sometimes we fail. I have a terrible thought that has haunted me for several years. Do not believe your own thoughts always and attitudes about these, but I had a terrible one. I was watching um, The Passion of the Christ, uh, and they came to the crucifixion part. I had this terrible thought that just made me very disappointed with myself. And my thought was, well, that's what Jesus came to do. That's what he was supposed to do. That was his destiny. The problem in saying that is thinking that is I am saying it was purposed and he knew it. But it did not make it easy. And I was trying to make it, oh, well, that had to be easy for him because that's what he was supposed to do. 
Well, it wasn't. He sweat blood in the Garden of Eden just before the crucifixion. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was humiliated, nailed to the cross, and crucified. He was tormented in many ways. And yet here I was thinking those thoughts. I was ashamed of myself. I'm sorry for ever having thought it, but the thought was there. What was I supposed to do with that? I mean, yes, it was his destiny, but that didn't make it easier. It was still a heart. The question, the ultimate question is, would I have taken his place? We just sang, are ye able, said the master. It's a tough question. But no, a thousand times no. Not voluntarily. I can't possibly take on that. I couldn't do it. But neither could I have taken his place. I mean, it's impossible. He is the only begotten son of the living God. He's the only sacrifice that could have paid the price. He's the only one fully human, fully son of God, that have paid the price. The second person of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that was never easy. I mean, God's no different than us as parents. He created Jesus, his son, and think how terribly he must have suffered. Think of that. Watching your child tormented on the cross. Sometimes I think mothers are more attuned to the... As fathers, we, we seem to be good at coming, you know, cheering our, our children on, but mothers, they can sympathize so much better. Thankfully, I think we can think of both all those attributes wrapped up in God at the same time. They can sympathize. They can encourage. God can encourage. And it takes, that's why it takes two people, a mother and a father, I think, to even come close to coming to the same uh, partnership that uh, even in a small way approaches the mind of God and how we can support and, and uh, handle family crises and our, uh, our children. But since God created both male and female, mothers and fathers, it's, it's, we have to stay together, unified in that approach as to putting the forth the, the word of God, and that is the Christian life as the way that it needs to be with our kids. But as Jesus is being crucified, he refuses wine mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it, says Matthew 27, 34. He was going to shoulder all the pain of all humanity for all time. He literally died of a broken heart. And just before he was crucified, Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the, tomb, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nurse. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and, and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? If men do that when Christ is with them, what happens when he is gone? Well, we see what's happening all around us today when, when Christ is being written out of our society. And it's deliberate. There's, there's this, this is a spiritual warfare that we're in. 
And in John, because of the crucifixion coming on that day of preparation, the executioners were to break the legs of, the being, of those being crucified to expedite their deaths. But when they came to Jesus and found he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, bringing forth a sudden flow of blood and water. This Jesus' expired body went quickly to death. That separation of blood cells and other liquids in the blood is a convincing, convincing testimony of his actual death. That was A.D., what, 33? Looked it up in the computer and estimated 300 million people. This is by the computer scientific method. Estimated 300 million people existed at the time of 1 A.D. So now we're in the year 2017 was the last statistics I could find. They say... There's 7,536,000, oops, 7,536,000,000 approximately people on earth. And if they total up all that have ever been born, that's 113,110,815,203. Now, I don't know why they went all the way down to the number on that one. They, they rounded the other one off, but. Was the human race that was under the curse of death from Genesis to the time he was crucified at 33? Or did it include all the people that have lived to this date and all the people are yet to come? When I think of that, how shameful it is that I ever thought that this was ever easy. When I go to the doctor, I don't know about you, I go to the doctor and they go, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, how does it hurt? Well, that depends. You know, if I'm standing here right now, it's a one, but if I'm trying to go to sleep at night and I can't, it's a ten. You know, that's just the way it is. What if they had a scale like that? Can you believe the amount of pain that would have racked his body on that cross? I was wrong to ever assume and ask of Jesus, wasn't that your duty, your destiny to die? so that we might all have life eternal. No, it wasn't his duty like a soldier that has given up his life for his comrades and thrown himself on a, on a grenade that was tossed into their midst. It was his love for us that led him to the cross and nothing else. There are no stupid or bad questions, but there are obvious answers. Many of these answers are available to us if we use our study Bible, our concordance and footnotes. Pastor Eric says he loves being a pastor. Let us make his job easy by learning more of God's word so that we might be asking more questions, more questions of the Bible, more questions of ourselves, more questions from Eric. For that is the good news of the Bible. We can answer them all words of Jesus Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us your word and your incredible gift to us that we can treasure for all time. That you, our Savior, has given us something that is more valuable than anything else we could ever be given. It is your word that we can build into the very hearts of our lives. We can ask questions freely 
and understand difficult concepts, but that you are at the heart of them all, and you beg us to come forward and listen to you. Listen to your still, small voice as you speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray.